travel back with me to a simpler time, a time when the biggest worry was whether or not the person who was it was going to find you hiding underneath the couch. How many times when you were a child do you remember playing hide-and-seek? Was that the go-to game when everybody came over to play? I'm sure most of us can remember playing that game, and if you think back, you might even remember you had one hiding spot that nobody else could find. You stumbled on it by chance, but <laughs> that was your safe space. Nobody could find you except you. Other kids would search for minutes, scouring the house, the yard, the neighborhood, the roof, the attic. Finally, you heard that wonderful shout, all right, fine, we give up, come on out, you win. Maybe you use that hiding place again and again and again and again until in some way it kind of became your secret spot, a sanctuary. If you've been listening to the episodes over the last several weeks, you know exactly where we're headed. We're headed to our friend David. David had many hiding places during his years of running from a paranoid, maniacal, homicidal King Saul, but one by one, each in turn was discovered and overrun by Saul and his soldiers. David ran to Samuel, his pastor. But the old prophet could not protect him. Saul followed David. David hid in the wilderness of Ziph, but the Ziphites sold him out. David thought he could find shelter in the little town of Keilah because he saved them from a Philistine siege. But ha <laughs> nay, nay, I say. Saul marched right in on Keilah, and the Lord told David that the men of Keilah would deliver him up to Saul. So David and his men scattered and fled once again, fugitives on the run, on the lamb, in the wind. Finally, David found a new home among the Philistines, his old enemies. Interesting, isn't it? Achish, one of the Philistine kings, gave David the town of Ziklag, where he could live and call his own. But while David was away marching into battle, the Amalekite raiders came in and they captured Ziklag. They burned it to the ground. It must have seemed to David like there is no safe place anywhere. Well, on one hand, he was kind of right. Naturally speaking, there was no perfect hiding spot. Saul would find him. But spiritually speaking, David found his sanctuary in the presence of the Lord. He wrote about it in the book of Psalms, the 27th Psalm, verse 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. Maybe nobody is literally hunting you down. I certainly hope they're not. Nobody's trying to kill us like they were trying to kill David. But all of us face physical, emotional, spiritual dangers. Maybe you've said before, I just want to run away. Southwest Airlines even has fares called Gotta Get Away. Maybe you said, I just, I, I just wish I had a place to lay low for a while. Well, I've got good news. There is such a place. There is such a hiding place. There is such a safe space. The name, his name is Jesus. I want to share a lot more about that right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. You are listening to L.J. Harry. I'm honored to be your host. 
Thanks for joining me. You're listening to the God's Word for Life Companion Podcast. And this episode stems from a lesson that is dated March 27, 2022, and it is entitled, Seek to Hide. And it's all about, as we've already read, the 27th Psalm. So if you have your Bible, we're going to go over that again. Or if you have your companion student guide there with you, we're going to go over that again. David prayed these two simple verses. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me, he shall set me upon a rock. Jesus is a safe place, he's a pavilion, he's a shelter, he's a refuge, he's also a light. He's also our salvation. To begin this psalm, David started with, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I'm not even afraid of Saul. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I'm not even afraid of his cronies. When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, that's a wicked foe, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, In this, I will be confident. The Lord is my light. That sounds familiar. I've heard the Lord say that before. Jesus said that in the book of John, chapter 8. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Before the sun was ever created and shone one ray onto the earth to warm it or light it, God was the source of light. In heaven, there'll be no need for sun or moon or stars because once again, Jesus will be the sole source of light. When Jesus is in our lives, we don't have to fear the darkness. It's no coincidence that the Lord being our light is connected to the Lord being our salvation. When we are saved, the light of God floods our lives. When we keep our hearts closed tight, hiding our sin, keeping it in, we don't only harbor that darkness inside, but we also shut out the light of God's grace, His forgiveness, His presence. But when we open our hearts wide to Jesus, we repent of our sins, we invite Him in, It's like throwing a door open to daylight. Darkness can't resist light. No amount of darkness, no matter how deep or vast, has ever snuffed out so much as a birthday candle, no matter how small the flame. How much less chance does darkness have against the sun? Capital S-O-N. David, David had had to be strong. After all, he wielded the sword of Goliath of Gath, who was a giant. When David hoisted that over his head, he was showing he's got some muscles. If Goliath's spear was like a weaver's beam, only imagine that the sword was forged on a pretty similar scale. David was a warrior. He won battle after battle. He had a keen, tactical mind. But in in spite of all of his physical and mental strengths, David did not rely on his own abilities for safety or to chase away the fear these battles could have easily birthed inside him. No In the prime of his strength, David looked to the Lord as his strength. All too often, we wait until we're weak before we turn to God for strength. And thankfully, God is there in those moments. The Lord told the Apostle Paul, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. The truth is, we are never strong enough to face this world without God. God is not just a momentary burst of strength like a shot of adrenaline when we need it to get out of danger. No, David said, the Lord is the strength of my life. God is the strength of our lives, our whole lives, 
every part of our lives. No part of our lives should be kept separate from God, and no part of our lives would ever be better without God in it. Here's a question. Why do we usually lean on our own strength rather than rely on God? Then David boldly declared, Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? It's almost as if David was calling out from in the middle of the cave or wherever he was hiding. I'm not afraid of you, Saul. I'm not afraid of your cronies. Because in this I'll be confident. Now how could David, who is on the run, on the lamb, how could he be surrounded by enemies on every side and yet be so confident? Well, because God was with him. God was his light, his salvation, his strength. And what God said to David, he says to us. If David had been afraid, who could blame him? I certainly can't. As he began to write the 27th Psalm, he spoke about wicked enemies attacking him and trying to eat up his flesh. Good grief. Armies besieging him, war rising against him. When's the last time somebody tried to cannibalize you? <laughs> Literally or figuratively, doesn't matter. You sound like some wicked, wicked men, ne'er-do-wells. But David put far more emphasis on God than his enemies. What about you? What are some things in your life that have caused you to fear? And how have you responded in fear? In verse 4, David declared, One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. The one thing David desired more than anything else was God's presence. That's where he felt safest. And that should come as no surprise. That's where we feel safest, is as close as we could possibly be to Jesus. Most people in David's day saw the house of the Lord as a place where they went occasionally. Three times a year, everybody was expected to meet at the tabernacle for one of those high and holy feasts. That ought not be our mindset, but for a lot of Christians, a lot of followers of Jesus, it is. Too many people have this mindset. Some only go to church occasionally on special holidays or special events. Many people call them CEOs, Christmas and Easter only. (laughs) But to hit a little bit closer to home, this mindset can affect even the most consistent Christian who attends church services regularly but doesn't come to service with that desire and expectation of truly entering into the presence of God. David had a different mindset. He longed to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. He never wanted to be away out of the presence of God. And in that way, the story of David encourages us, don't just seek God's presence every time we come to church, but let's seek God every day. God's not limited to four walls. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. We can feel the presence of God, enter the presence of God every day. In the Old Testament, before the Spirit of God was outpoured on the day of Pentecost, all David could hope for was to dwell in the tabernacle, a building. But today, by the Spirit, we have the opportunity, the amazing opportunity to be the temple. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 asks us, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God? And you are not your own. Let's not take that for granted. God dwells within us. Sometimes, as Christians, we act a little bit like the security guards of the Sistine Chapel. Hundreds, thousands of visitors crane their necks to look up for the first time at the majesty and the beauty painted on the ceiling and on the walls. And the guards, (laughs) they don't seem to notice. They seem oblivious. They keep their eyes on the crowd, and any time they think they see a camera, they bark, No photo! No photo! 
They've even become so accustomed to the beauty, they don't notice it anymore. They ignore the glory in favor of just enforcing law. God, help us never to take the beauty of the presence of God for granted. Think of all the people in the world who do not know God. Think of all the people in your world who do not know God. They don't know what it's like to stand and raise their hands and worship and feel the beautiful Spirit of God flood through them, course through them. They don't know the peace that Jesus can pour into their souls. There's an amazing story of a nurse over in the Ukraine. She's an apostolic nurse, and she keeps getting called back even after her shift has ended because the soldiers who are in that military hospital, when she is there, they feel calm, they feel a peace. But when she leaves, all they feel is chaos and turmoil and fear. And so they call her back, not necessarily just because they want her to work, but just because they want what she brings with her. They want the presence of God. Besides that, the awareness of the beauty of God. Now that's a source of protection all by itself. Most of the trouble in our lives comes from sin. And most sin is a result of thinking that what the devil in the world has to offer is a lot more attractive than what God has to offer. But it's not. If we truly stay close to God, aware of his beauty, his glory, his grandeur, everything else will fade into the background. The favorite line of any hymn we sing, for me, is in the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. David continued in the 27th Psalm when he said, When thou saidest, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Time and again, David faced battles, tragedy, key decisions, and he called for the man of God, the priest, he called for Abiathar. David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him and told him what to do. Sometimes David was to run and hide. Other times he was to stand and fight, or there were times where he was to stage an ambush from behind the enemy. Seeking and obeying the counsel of God is every bit as much a source of protection as high walls or body armor. All too often, we don't seek God's face when we're faced with a hard decision. What about you? Are you facing trials right now? Tragedy, tipping points in your life? Seek God. Ask Him what to do. He knows, and He wants to tell you. And then when you've laid out that whole situation before God, just take time to listen and hear what He has to say. Through this daily awareness of the beauty and the presence of God, this constant ability to inquire of Him, David found protection in the time of trouble. He likened it to God hiding him in his tabernacle or setting him up on a rock. Jesus once told a parable of a man who dug deep and built his house on a rock. You might remember that story. And Jesus said, anyone who hears his teachings and acts on them, he's like that man. And the same storms and floods will hit that man as will hit the man who built his house on sand. Just as troubles and tragedies still come into our lives, even though we're Christians, it happens for everybody. But here's the difference. The man who built his life on Jesus' words stood while the man who disregarded Jesus' words collapsed. We thank God that he reached down and pulled us out of the miry clay and set our feet on the rock by his side. Jesus ensures us no matter what storm we face, we will stand. And then David continues, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Anybody liked hearing the word wait? 
None of us like to hear that word. If we have to wait more than five minutes in a fast food drive through or our popcorn takes more than a couple minutes in the microwave, we're tapping our foot, we're checking our watch, we're checking our email, we're tapping our foot and checking our email. It's rare to find a patient person, but this comes through in our prayers. We demand, God, I just want you to tell me yes or no. Meanwhile, God sometimes has a third answer. Wait. God's timing is perfect. In the waiting, God is not idle. In the waiting, God strengthens us. Often he says, wait, because we're not quite strong enough yet. Isaiah chapter 40 tells us, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Remember, God's timing is perfect, just like his strength is perfect. All right, let's wrap this up. Every morning after breakfast, the Dutch clockmaker, Casper Ten Boom, would take out the big family Bible and read a chapter. You remember the Ten Boom family from The Hiding Place? His daughter, Corey, who wrote that amazing book, remembered that on her first day of school, the chapter was particularly lengthy. It was Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses. Read that in one sitting. But among all those verses, there was one in particular that stood out to her. Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. Psalm 119, verse 114. Little did Corey Ten Boom know as a little girl of six years old that many years later her tiny top floor room would become a hiding place for Jews escaping the Nazi Holocaust. As the German war machine rolled across Europe, the Ten Boom family's country of Holland fell in a mere five days. But as a grand old wise, Casper Ten Boom told a teenage boy eager to fight the Germans, Holland's battle had just begun. For the Ten Boom family, that battle meant taking in Jews who began showing up in ones and twos, then whole families tapping on the alley door after curfew asking for sanctuary. But the presence of these fugitives in their home was dangerous. The police station was half a block away. The Ten Boom family contacted the Dutch underground, and one of the foremost architects in Holland began to turn his skills to build a false wall in Corey's room. Members of the resistance began slipping in and out of the watch shop, bringing a tool and a folded newspaper, or maybe a brick or two in a briefcase. And brick by brick, the false wall began to rise. When it was finally completed and Corey was allowed back into her room, she gasped. The room smelled of fresh paint, but there was no sign of it on any walls anywhere. Instead, all four walls showed the dark streaks that came from coal heating and water stains that came from the leaky roof. The crown molding ran unbroken around the chipped, broken, peeling ceiling. Looked just like it had for a century and a half. Old, sagging bookshelves lined the false wall. Water stains matched the walls behind them. And in the very bottom of one of those bookshelves was a sliding door, two feet square, that allowed access to the tiny 30-inch wide room that ran behind the wall. Any Jew sheltering with a Ten Boom family could hide there whenever the the Gestapo raided the shop. The architect, known only by the alias Mr. Smith, banged on the solid brick wall and proclaimed, The Gestapo could search for a year. They'll never find this one. With the help of that hiding place, Corrie Ten Boom and her family saved over 800 Jews from Nazi death camps, until finally they were betrayed by a fellow Dutchman and sent to a concentration camp themselves. And there the aged, yet wise, Casper Ten Boom died in days. Corey's sister Betsy was also killed. 
Corrie ten Boom went through unimaginable tragedy, deprivation, cruelty. But in the camp at Ravensbrook, Corrie discovered that she had a hiding place even more sure than that false wall. Ultimately, Corrie was released due to a clerical error a week before all the other women her age were sadly, tragically taken to the gas chamber. Not only did she survive physically, she also survived emotionally and spiritually, was even able to face and forgive two of her German captors and went on to share her experiences and the gospel in 61 countries, including behind the Soviet Iron Curtain. There is no better place to find refuge than in the presence of Almighty God. Whatever your situation, your trial, your trouble, why not give it to God today? Cast your cares on him like Corey cast hers on him and let him be your hiding place. Let's pray. Whatever you're going through, I want to pray that God would be your hiding place, your sanctuary, your safe space, and that his presence would become a place where you run anytime you need him. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this promise, this beautiful, blessed assurance of your presence, your sanctuary, your shelter. I pray for all those listening that this would be more than just an episode, more than a lesson. God, let it be a lifeline. Minister to them whatever they're dealing with, whatever they're going through, whatever trouble has their heart so heavy. Please minister to them. Help them to run into your presence, into your shelter, and hide them. Protect them. Preserve them. Save them, I pray. All of us, Lord, whenever we're going through tough times, Help us to run to you then, just as we run to you now. I ask you this. I praise you. You are our hiding place in your precious, wonderful, safe, holy name, Jesus. Amen. I sure hope this episode's been a blessing to you, especially if you're going through a tough time. Run to the presence of the Lord. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to click subscribe. Be sure to click share. Let others know about this episode and podcast. We've just crested 100 downloads. This is 101, or I'm sorry, episodes. This is 101 right now. So congratulations on being a part of something that is making a difference around the world for the glory of Jesus Christ and the cause of discipleship. Hey, visit us on our website, PentecostalPublishing.com. We've got a lot of great resources, books, Bible studies, devotionals, music, wonderful resources to help you in your walk and relationship with Jesus. Next week, we launch into a brand new series. It is called God is With Us, and what a promise that is. And we're going to read and hear a story about Joseph, and the story is called Believing Without Understanding. It's all about Joseph from Genesis 37. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next week, and always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.